hauling Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, we take a look at the renaissance of the ag program at Illinois Valley Community College. We also get a fall harvest status report from USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey, and we look at new agricultural purchases by China. In the first of our content-sharing partner profiles, we meet Derek Brazda with the United We Ag podcast. Our buddy, the hot rod farmer Ray Bohax, has another installment of Bushels and Scents. Honky Tonk star Bobby Marquez is throwing a virtual bonfire, and he wants you to join him. And we hear the music of up-and-coming Nashville singer-songwriter Brecken Miles. You won't want to miss a moment of this jam-packed episode. Let's go! Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, 2020 has been quite a forgettable year for many, but for Illinois Valley Community College in Oglesby, Illinois, it's been a year of growth. In September, Illinois Valley opened a new agricultural center to support an agriculture program that has experienced quite a revival over the past five years. Here to talk about it today are the program's co-coordinators, Willard Mott and Catherine Seabrook. And folks, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us here today. Yeah, Thank you great so much to be for here. having us. So the associate degree in arts or science and agriculture allows students to complete a two-year degree and seamlessly transfer to a four-year institution to complete a bachelor degree. And I understand the college once had a program, shuttered it, and then brought it back here in 2016. Uh, Willard, if you could tell me a bit about the evolution of the program since it returned. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so... Uh, I guess, as you said, uh, you know, the, the program was uh, discontinued back in 1995. And then um, in 2016, uh, we revitalized the agriculture program. And so, uh, you know, since 2016, we've done a lot to uh, increase enrollment and, and to really build our program. And we, we started with um, offering an agriculture transfer degree. So that was a uh, AA, so an Associate of Arts, or an Associate of Science for students to um, study agriculture and then transfer to a four-year university to finish a bachelor's degree. And then um, since then, we've added um, two um, Associate of Applied Science degrees, one in agricultural business management and the second one in agronomy. And then recently, um, Catherine has uh, really led the charge to develop our cannabis production certificate. So we also have a certificate program that we offer currently today. I see. So Catherine, tell me a bit about that program as well as some of the other courses offered within the program. Because I understand you guys started out with just two courses and nine students and this thing has really blossomed in the time since then. Yeah, definitely. So the cannabis production certificate involves um, the development of a new course that was offered for the first time this semester, which was Intro to Cannabis Production. And so with the legalization of recreational marijuana in Illinois this past year, it kind of um, was the, I would say, the starting point for this because, of course, hemp production has been legal for a while now. But with the addition of recreational marijuana production, we saw this as being a really good way to entice some students into the program for, you know, hemp production is more along the lines of agriculture. So it's a benefit for us to teach students about 
another avenue of agriculture, but also to provide that information to students who are interested in more of the recreational medicinal aspects as well. Um, and that course involves, that's the only new course involved in that certificate program. The other courses that are in it are pre-existing courses that are involved in our other degrees. So for example, we have um, crop pest management and we have um, soil fertility and fertilizers. Students will also partake in an internship with this. So the students in our AAS program have to participate in an internship as well. Um, so we really, I would say that we have a nice variety of classes that enable students to both obtain a degree and also to kind of explore the different areas of agriculture that they may find themselves in in the future. What was the response like to the cannabis certificate program uh, when, when that was announced? Um, I would say it was a little bit mixed, but mostly on the positive side. So we did have really good enrollment or we do have really good enrollment in the class for a first time offering. We have 15 students, which is pretty significant. Um, I think people did have their, you know, they had questions about it and they weren't really sure, but once they realized and once they were a little bit more educated on the fact that, you know, cannabis, it's one plant, marijuana and hemp are one plant. And no matter what it's being used for, it's a benefit to, you know, not just local economies, but the, you know, the national economy as well. And it's a really good there's a really great job market for it, no matter which avenue you go down. Well, speaking about the job market, what do you guys see as the greatest areas of need in the agriculture industry? And what are some of the skills that you've identified as being paramount for students wanting to step in and fill some of those roles? Um, I guess I'll, I'll take this one. Uh, yeah, some of the, I mean, some of the leading areas in, in the um, agriculture, at least within our area, is a lot of the entry-level agricultural business um, uh, as well as agronomy type uh, positions. So, you know, everything from sales to, uh, you know, applicators uh, and, and even at the farm level, um, there's a lot of uh, our, our farmers that are larger that are looking for, you know, people to come in and take some of those roles on and, and help out um, not only just during the busy season, but also um, throughout the year. The other thing that is is huge within agriculture industry is uh, precision agriculture. So, uh, being able to collect data, being able to interpret the data, and then make um, decisions, business decisions based on um, that information that they've collected. So, um, you know, those are the areas that we continue to look at to grow and develop our program, um, and, and where we see kind of, I guess, a lot of opportunity. And a, and a lot of need in our local area. And uh, now the next step is the school's Agriculture Center, which is a 60 by 100 foot building that opens September 24th on the college's 150 acre farm. Tell me what's at that facility and what that addition means to the future of this program. Um, so I'll take that one. Uh, so yeah, that building is being used to house the equipment that we currently have. So we have on hand right now a, um, a Magnum 340 Case IH tractor, as well as a vertical tillage tool. And although that doesn't really sound like a lot, that is, we see it as the beginning of um, kind of the, the fleet of equipment that we hope to acquire in the future. So with the, the building that we originally had, we, it really only fit the tractor and just barely. <laughs> um, so with the addition of this building, it's going to allow us to, you know, obtain and acquire more equipment um, it's also an area where we can do demonstrations with students on the equipment, so on and so forth. So it's just another really great resource for us to utilize in our classes and outside of our classes as well. And, and tell me a bit about the farm, because it is a working farm. Uh, you, you guys have done some crop trials there, and I see uh, uh, working with some cover crop there. T tell me about what day-to-day -day with the farm looks like. 
Yeah, so um, we have 153 acres on campus. Um, it is owned by um, the college, and then we work alongside of the University of Illinois Extension, as well as uh, our tenant uh, farmer to uh, put in different types of demonstrations and trials and to uh, perform some uh, you know, local interest um, research um, on those trials. But then also, um, along with the equipment, we have a very good working relationship with um, some research engineers at Case IH. And so um, this past summer, we put in some demonstration plots for our students. So just, uh, you know, different varieties of soybeans. Um, so that way students in labs can go out and, you know, look at different growth stages and things like that. Uh, we were also able to uh, work with a prototype planter um, and, and be able to be involved in some research on the research end of things. Um, and then, like I said, with the extension is we're able to put in some um, local interest um, research plots and then uh, provide our local farmers with um, some data and feedback that they may be able to use on their operations. Um, the other thing is our, our farm, you know, really facilitates a lot of different labs and, um, you know, current topics. And so one of those being cover crops is of big interest in this area. And we were able to, um, you know, cooperate in partnership with several local businesses, Grain Co. FS, AgView FS, um, Ford and & Sons, and then the extension. And we put in four different types of cover crops um, in four different plots so that way students can um, watch those grow and, and monitor uh, the different growth characteristics and just be involved in um, some of the, the local things that are, are happening in agriculture. So um, it's been really uh, fun and interesting. And um, our, our campus farm, along with the building, uh, you know, we mentioned the building being the hub because it sits there on the farm, but it's um, that's also going to facilitate, you know, the things that happen on the farm. So I know our students just really love getting um, out on the farm to drive the equipment or to take soil samples and uh, really be involved, you know, hands on right there on campus with um, our campus farm. And how have you seen the program turn out students here and, and create success stories uh, as far as students that have gone on to uh, complete their four-year degree and, and then grab jobs in the uh, in the industry? Yeah, you know, we've had, um, you know, just some tremendous students come through the program. Uh, and, you know, they, they've been very successful in a lot of different areas. Um, some of our students, you know, have recently transferred, recently or, or a couple of years ago, transferred on to universities. Um, some of those students have graduated and come back locally, and they're working in local agribusinesses. Um, you know, one student that stands out is um, down at uh, Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, and um, he's he's helping to manage um, some of their campus farms and, and continuing um, his degree. He should graduate this spring. Um, you know, we've had other students who are going on uh, in leadership positions or uh, return back locally to work, uh, you know, local um, businesses. So definitely, um, you know, many successful stories and, and people that have really benefited from um, our local program. Well, it seems like you guys enjoy great support from the donors, the school's board of trustees, and also the community at large. Yeah, definitely. And I think a really good example of that would be the scholarships that we're able to provide to the students in our program. We have over $50,000 available um, in scholarships to students specifically for the agriculture program. And that's really significant, especially when you think about the fact that this program, although small, it is growing. Um, so the students all have a really, really good chance of getting a really great scholarship, at least one great, really great scholarship to help them, you know, pay for their education. 
Um, so on top of that, we have a lot of really great donors and we also, like Willard mentioned, a lot of these, but a lot of really great partnerships with the local companies. So AgView and GrainCo, we also, um, you know, bringing it back to the cannabis production, um, a local company, Mid-American Growers, we've also partnered with them. They're going to provide internships for our students in the program as well. Um, so there's just, I could go on and on, but there are so many examples of companies and just people as a whole that have really seen the value in this program and have put resources together and, you know, provided these resources to us to be able to expand the program and also to help our students. Well, this is really exciting stuff. If listeners want to know more about the agriculture program at Illinois Valley Community College, where can they go? So they can contact um, either of us. Um, my number is 815-224-0495 um, and Willard's is 815-224-0413. And um, we also have program web pages up on our school's website and hopefully coming very, very soon, um, a, a central hub of information, which is going to be an agriculture web page also on the Illinois Valley website as well. Well, so make sure you go check that out again. That website is ivcc.edu, and you can search from there to get to agriculture. And Catherine and Willard, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. We hope you'll come back in the future and share a status report as things continue to progress. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity, and it's been, uh, been enjoyable talking about our program. Thank you, Brent, and thanks for uh, sharing your time with us today. Again, we've been talking with the folks from Illinois Valley Community College, Willard Mott and Catherine Seabrook. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, next up, a couple of news items of note this week, the first being the weather. Rain and strong winds as a result of Hurricane Zeta, as well as snow in the upper Midwest, the Plains states in the Southwest are wreaking havoc on harvest season. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey explains. And now we've got a fairly impressive late October snow cover in place across the upper Midwest. Over the next week, we do expect to see mostly dry conditions across the upper Midwest. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says a warming trend will melt some of that snow. We're going to see enough of an influence from the remnants of Hurricane Zeta, as well as the big storm crossing the southern Great Plains, we do expect to see a significant rainfall event across the Ohio Valley, perhaps extending as far north as northern Missouri, central Illinois, central Indiana, and northern Ohio. He says one concern is that harvest is not as far along in some areas. So, for example, Ohio, only about a third of the corn harvested by October 25th. And so it may be quite a while before some of the corn and soybeans are able to be harvested in much of the Midwest. This is Stephanie Ho for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Rippy then went on to give status reports about corn, soybeans, cotton, winter wheat, and peanuts. The overall number still looks good. 72% of the corn harvested, far ahead of the five-year average of 56%, and last year's 38%. But during the last week, only 12% of the corn was harvested, and that compares to the weekly number of 13% for the five-year average. So in other words, after four weeks of rapid progress, harvest slowed to a near or below normal pace. 
If you look at the individual states, we saw at least 15% of the corn harvested before the weather turned bad in a handful of states that included Colorado, Nebraska, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, and South Dakota, able to get a fair amount of field work done before all of the cold weather and the snow and rain hit. As far as soybeans, we see the overall number again looking pretty favorable because of the fast progress in the last four weeks. Nationally, 83% of the soybeans harvested by October 25th, 10 percentage points ahead of the five-year average, and even further ahead of last year's 57%. But no single state was able to achieve 15% harvest progress for the week. We did see six states picking up 10% or more of the harvest during the week, those being Arkansas, Indiana, Kansas, Missouri, Tennessee, and Wisconsin able to work in advance of the bad weather to get some of the soybeans out. So a big change for the Midwest with the colder, snowier, rainier weather moving in. He then moved on to cotton, where he said nearly all of the country's cotton bowls are open. However, Hurricane Zeta will pose challenges for many cotton farmers in the southeastern United States. Harvest progress in the central Gulf Coast states, 87% of the cotton harvested by October 25th in Louisiana, 63% in Mississippi, 34% in Alabama. Those are the states most likely to take a direct hit from the hurricane or strong tropical storm that it may be as it moves inland later this week. The nationwide number for cotton harvested is 42%, which is equal to the five-year average. Rippey also took time to break down the peanut harvest. The peanut harvest passed the halfway mark and reached 56% complete by October 25th, but that is 10 points behind the five-year average of 66% and even further behind last year's 74%. All eight production states either at or behind their typical harvest pace at this point. Some of the biggest delays in Virginia and only 39% of the peanuts harvested in that state compared to the five-year average of 72%. And finally, while many farmers are trying to get crop out of the ground, wheat farmers are busy trying to get winter wheat planted. Rippey provided a status report on their progress. Looking at winter wheat for the week ending October 25th, the vast majority of the crop has been planted, 85% on that date. That's ahead of the five-year average of 80%, also ahead of last year's 83%. The only states with appreciable acreage left to plant are the Later planted areas in the south and west, for example, California, a quarter of the crop planted by the 25th, but that's pretty much on par with the five-year average of 29%. Also in North Carolina, 20% planted versus the five-year average of 21% planted. But again, the, the major production areas of the Plains, Midwest, vast majority of the crop in the ground by late October. Again, that was USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. And we have some more news on the China front. The U.S. Trade Representative's office last week provided an update on export data to China. American Farm Bureau Federation Chief Economist John Newton says China has committed to nearly three-quarters of its Phase 1 agreement goals for 2020. We saw a report from USTR this past week that indicated China's made purchases. This includes products that have been exported as well as products that have yet to be shipped, totaling nearly $24 billion. That's approximately 71% of their phase one goal for calendar year 2020. Newton says the key here is that export commitments turn into actual shipments of product. We've obviously seen the Chinese make a number of structural changes to further advance 
agricultural trade with the United States. We've seen strong new crop purchases of corn and soybeans in particular. China's been a big player in the pork market this year as well. So I think all of this is a step in the right direction. We do need to see those export commitments turn into actual shipments for this goal to be realized. Newton says the improved export demand has led to increased commodity prices. When we look at where commodity prices are today versus where they were several months ago, we've seen commodity prices really rally on the back of lower inventories and strengthening demand from the export market. New crop export commitments for corn and soybeans are record high. We also see very, very strong export inspections. So I think that's led to higher prices for farmers over the last few months. But again, we need to see those commitments turn into actual shipments for that price rally to last. Again, that's American Farm Bureau Federation Chief Economist John Newton. And one last item of note on China this week, the USA Rice Federation on Tuesday reported that Archer Daniels Midland Company achieved a milestone when it unloaded the first ever U.S.-grown rice in China following more than a decade of negotiations between the U.S. and China. AgriPulse reported that the shipment amounted to about 20 metric tons. Last month, the U.S. Department of Agriculture's World Agricultural Supply and Demand report projected that China would consume more than 146 million metric tons of rice this year, compared with just 4.6 million metric tons consumed by Americans. U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue tweeted about the announcement, calling it a good first step to what we hope will be many more shipments of high-quality, nutritious, and affordable rice. Well, next up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, we kick off our content partner profile series with Derek Brazda, the creator and host of the United We Ag podcast, which has become one of the hottest podcasts in agriculture, thanks largely in part to Derek, who has a natural curiosity that's led him to think outside of the box on topics and guests, turning up some fascinating must-hear subjects. And Derek, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you so much for, for giving me the chance to be on here. And uh, I'm glad to have you, glad to be partnering with you on some of this content here because you, you've got a really great show. You've come up with a really great concept, and it comes from the heart for you because you, you've grown up around agriculture and uh, have a great background in it. Before we get into talking about your show, let's talk a bit about your background. Tell, tell me uh, where, where all this comes from for you. So yeah, uh, well, I grew up on a farm. I grew up uh, just outside of Omaha, Nebraska, and dad uh, raises corn and soybeans. And so kind of the area that I actually you know, was born and, and raised around, most of that part, you know, all those farms have been converted into neighborhoods. So when that happened, you know, probably 15 or so years ago, we just kept moving out west. And, and so, yeah, it's dad and he farms you know corn and soybeans and i come out and and uh still am pretty involved in that whenever i can be i still have a a full-time job which is also you know ag related it's always always every every job i've ever had has been you know very very closely tied to agriculture so it's all encompassing it seems like sometimes and we got to get this plug in here to a fellow arizona state sun devil absolutely yeah so when i and it's kind of funny you know, when we talk about our, our backgrounds and and I, I don't know how common this is within agriculture, but you know when I was a, a teenager, um, I, I wasn't even sure if ag was the, the route that I wanted to go. Uh, I went down with a friend of mine had a um, he was going on a visit to go see Arizona State and I kind of just like nudged myself in in on that trip. And went and looked at it and fell in love with the school, fell in love with the, you know, Phoenix area. It was a, a great place to spend, uh, you know, spend four years. And, and it was, I think 
the summer or, or the, I think it, I was about a year and a half in. So it was the summer between uh, sophomore and junior year. And I had kind of, it's that time of the, of the, the college experience where you're expected to get done with your general studies and kind of declare a major and looking through some of the, some of the, the different options that they had, um, they actually had a really unique, uh, you know, called uh, the Morrison school of, of agribusiness. And I'd always kind of said I'd taken a lot of generic business courses because thinking, you know, everybody has the same thought, oh, well, you can do anything with a business degree. And um, getting that itch after being gone for a couple of years of really wanting to focus more in on agriculture and didn't really know what aspect that would be uh, at the time. But I, I took the leap and, and declared for, you know, just a general agribusiness degree and and I don't know, people that aren't familiar with Arizona State, it's uh, the actual campus is split up onto, onto four different campuses that are sprawled out through the city of Phoenix. And so I lived right off of the main campus, which is the one you see in all the pictures where Sun Devil Stadium is. And it's got that beautiful, you know, walk, you know a mile long walk of, you know, giant palm trees and the beautiful buildings and everything. And, and the the campus that I was on was, was actually out in, uh, you know, East Mesa. So it was a, a 40 minute drive every day to get out there. But the nice thing about it was, was their agriculture school felt like you're going to a small school, you know, because I think that campus only at the time only had like 2,500 kids on it. It was still brand new. We shared uh, we shared campus with the uh, the professional golf management schools. So it was a, a lot of the kids that were studying to be uh, golf course managers were were out there. They had their own golf course. Uh, the the campus was beautiful, and you still got that one-on-one interaction with the teachers. You know, I'm still in contact with some of the teachers that I had, some of the professors, and and it was you got the best of both worlds because you still could go up to Sun Devil Stadium on Saturday and and be around fifty thousand people at a tailgate, and then uh, for when it came time to actually go to school, it felt like you were going to a much more intimate, small. You know, the classes were small, uh, really interesting, and it was a unique a unique point of view. Is what I'll say. So, uh, where did the idea for United We Ag come from? So, uh, with my you know my my day job uh, outside of you know helping out on the farm, I work for a company called Meadows USA as as kind of the regional. Um, you know, I, I cover the Midwest as the the sales manager, and then also uh, handle the the marketing for the United States. And what had happened, and it's kind of a funny story. <clears throat> we got a we got a phone call. Our general manager in California got a phone call one day from a gentleman in Michigan, and he w- was asking about. Uh, he worked. He, he had an apple orchard, and he used our station to. Uh, our, our stations have a lot of like disease modeling and disease tracking functionality built into them. So he was using our station to track the potential for apple scab, which is a big problem in orchards and and something that's got to be pretty closely monitored. And he was calling saying that he was having some issues with it. So, uh, you know, Petra got his, uh, the serial number for it. And, you know, usually our serial numbers are seven, eight, not eight, eight, seven or eight numbers long. And this was only like four. So like we couldn't find it online, <laughs> couldn't find it anywhere. Come to find out, you know, we got our, our CEO involved and come to find out that this station had been out since like 2003. And it was so old that it wasn't actually online. It had been in in this guy's orchard since, you know, for 17 years working without any problems. And so, you know, the thought was, all right, let's get this fixed. And then let's see if we can get this guy to do an interview and you put it as a use case and throw it on our website and just kind of use this as a marketing opportunity. 
And, you know, he was a little bit of uh, an older gentleman and wasn't really uh, <laughs> wasn't really keen on that idea. But we had kind of thought that let's let's take this opportunity to, to really interview some of our customers, create some value add use cases to just get our name out there and show because there's a lot of really unique things that, that Meadows USA does that, that not a lot of other, um, you know, weather station where companies can do uh, just both through the, the software and a lot of the unique angles that we, you know, put on spins from, you know, from being a global company and having, having uh, stations out. I mean, we've got like 50,000 stations out across the world uh, in like 80 different countries. And so we we're kind of going to go full steam ahead on getting some more interviews and then it just kind of evolved. And then the next step of, e- of, of evolution was, well, maybe we should start this as a podcast. And so the, the first episode, the first two episodes I did, one was with, uh, with our pestle instruments, agro meteorologist, uh, Guy Ash, who honestly, I mean, it, even not being with pestle instruments or Meadows USA, Guy Ash is a fascinating guest to have. I mean, he was, he's a, a world renowned agro meteorologist. He's worked with the NFL, with, uh, with the NHL, with, you know, the, uh, uh, with FIFA, you know, he's worked across the, uh, he lives in Canada. He's worked with, uh, to help we- develop weather models for uh, the Canadian wheat board. I mean, the guy is internationally renowned in in what he does. And so we just kind of started talking about, all right, well, why, what really is the, you know, explain to us the role that, that weather and specifically agrometeorology play in uh, making decisions throughout the crop season and what you can do. And he d- does a really good job of putting it into easy, easy to understand terms. And then the next guest was Todd Coulter, who's the, uh, uh, the shared operations manager for Winfield. And we had got all of our, all our stations were set up on Winfield answer plots this year. So the, that was kind of the way, uh, the, the way into this whole thing was let's, let's get some, some cool stories about some stuff that we're doing and make them interesting and, and get them out there. And then from there, you know, I, I had kind of mentioned if we want, people to, to follow along with this and this to not just be a, a one-time thing we're going to have to mix in some more uh entertainment stuff so it came down to what's the what's the direction that we want to go do we want to have another show where we're just bringing on individual farmers they tell their story um you know they're talk about their operation and and that's great the, like those shows are they're fantastic i listen to a lot of them uh, most of the day, you know, I, I enjoy listening to that, but the only problem is, is there's just so much of it. <laughs> you know, there's, there's so many of those out there in the, in, in the, in the ether that it, I, I thought it would have been kind of hard to differentiate. So my big, and, and I think this is because of working with, uh, with an international team. And just after a couple of months of, uh, you know, listening to everybody and talking to everybody, it kind of hit me. I was like, you know what? <sighs> we're dealing with the same things that our counterparts are dealing with in Turkey, you know, with our, that our counterparts are dealing with in Australia. Farming is not that different around the world, but, and, but at the same time, you know, there are unique educational aspects that we might not know about how, the, how do they do things over there? Or, you know, if we have, uh, if they have, they're having, you know, issues with a, a certain, say a disease or a certain pest, like how do they handle it versus how we handle it. So my main goal was let's find interesting stories that, you know, from, from around the world, just kind of break out of the, the standard 
Midwestern, it's got to be corn, it's got to be soybeans, it's got to be wheat, it's got to be cattle, it's got to be dairy. You know, that's that those those stories are all you know fascinating, but just seem to me to be overrepresented in the social media space when it came to looking through ag Twitter, looking through ag social media. And I mean, they're very, very, very important. So I get why I get why the representation is there. But there's just so much more that agriculture has to offer and so much bigger of a scope. And a lot of times, especially when you look at social media, there's just this mentality that it is, you know, people involved in agriculture versus people that are not involved in agriculture. And my whole shtick is, you know, everybody can be involved in agriculture. It's a, it's a, a, a big, vast world that you don't, there's no, there, outside of commercial farming, there's no barriers to getting your hands a little bit dirty in the dirt somehow, whether that's a garden, whether that's a, a planter box, whether that's, uh, you know, actually, you know, owning and operating a farm or a greenhouse or, or anything. And, and it's, it's something that, uh, it envelops people of all different, all different types. You know, no farmer, no two farmers need to look the same or, or act the same or, or have the same set of uh, beliefs or views. You know, we're, we're a diverse group of people around the world that all do interesting things and, and have interesting uh, educational stories to tell. So my whole uh, goal has been to bring people on that can teach us something, it's, you know, something that we didn't know before. And I think that's a great point. You've done a great job of unearthing those guests and, and breaking it down at a level that well, whether you're in agriculture or you just find it fascinating, uh, you can. You know, I had a chance to uh, spend some time here a few months back with, with the legendary farm broadcaster, Orion Samuelson, who is the uh, kind of the dean of uh, far farm broadcasters, just getting ready to retire here at the end of the year at age 86. And it, you know, he's been doing this since the, the 1950s. And the, the one thing that he told me is that he always kind of looks at it from a lens of trying to take uh, what, what uh, he knows and what his subjects know about the ag industry and distill it into uh, a manner in which anybody listening or, or watching can, can understand it and find it fascinating because, you know, it's where our food comes from. It's where our clothes come from. It's where a lot of durable goods come from. So, uh, you know, it should be important to everybody, but, but a lot of times they, they just kind of take it for granted and you have to be able to uh, explain to them why they should care about it. And I think that's one thing that you do really well. Well, I, I thank you. It, it's something that, you know, I, I have this portion in the beginning of every show when I have somebody that's, that's directly involved with the, the growing of something. It's just a, a little five-minute segment called The Farm Breakdown where... You know, when, when we had Matt Griggs on, I said, you know, Matt, explain to me the process of growing cotton as if I have never heard of cotton before, you know, on a very, very basic level. Because, you know, that's where a lot of the disconnect comes from is, you know, we have our lingo and and not everybody understands it or not not everybody is the, the why. You know, all they see is the what. And so if, if we do a better job just kind of as an industry, uh, you know, bridging that gap and and not talking, you don't necessarily have to talk down to people, but just explain explain why we do the things that we do in a way that you don't have to you don't have to have been raised in a rural setting to understand. And you know, really kind of connect with you know try and connect with everybody. You know, make it something that that anybody could stumble upon the show and be like, Oh yeah, I was really interested in this particular topic and and it was explained well and you know, that's how you know, I've had a few people comment that, you know, they, 
followed one of my guests who had promoted the show and then they dug back through the catalog and they're like, there's actually a lot of really kind of cool, cool things that you talk about. I go, well, we try not to harp on one thing for, <laughs> for too yeah. terribly long and try to keep it fresh with, with, you know, interesting and, and new topics. So. Well, and that's what keeps them coming back. You know, if they can find it fascinating and they can understand it and they feel like it's worth their time, they'll be back. And that's how you build an audience. That's the goal. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that said, what do you have for uh, some of the future episodes here in the works? Well, I have to say, so we're coming up on probably the biggest and most exciting episode that I've done so far. And this was one when I... When I first started, I had uh, I'd sent an email, and and it, and it's funny because I, I I'll be the first to admit when I look at, at at the the previous shows, I'm like I don't know how I've gotten some of these people to agree <laughs> to come on and talk to me, especially as the show was just starting out. And if I could give any one piece of advice to anybody that's out there trying to to do a podcast, is you just gotta ask, you know, like yeah. what's the worst that can happen? They 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 say no, and then you're in the same position, you know. I, I sent, you know, for every one, yes, I probably sent five emails that either didn't get responded to or somebody said, you know, maybe not right now or, or we'll see, you know, in a couple months or we're really busy. And and at the end of the day, you know, I'm uh, <laughs> in the, the is it my dad's going to be laughing if he hears this. But I, I, I'm, I consider myself to be kind of a nerd almost. I'm, a, I'm really big into like outer space and science fiction as well. And, and so um one of my kind of like a dream show that I had sat down and brainstormed when I was first starting this is I, w- I would really love to know about uh, what, what, what is it going to look like, you know, as humanity reaches out into the stars and really starts, you know, expanding our footprint in the, you know, in the universe, how are we going to feed ourselves? So I sent an email to NASA and said, I would love to talk to some of your plant biologists that are working on specifically this. And then probably about a month after I sent that email, I got a response. And it was from, you know, a couple of their PR directors. And it, I, I remember the moment is probably one of the coolest moments I had. I'm sitting at my sitting at my desk and I, I get this email and I don't really recognize the name. I look at it and it's, you know, this is such and such and such from, you know, Kennedy Space Center. Uh, we would love to be on the show. This, you know, this sounds great. And I just like froze. And then I like stood up, I was jumping up and down. I pulled it up on my phone, screenshot the email, sent it to my wife, sent it to my uh, producer, sent it to my brother, sent it to anybody that could listen. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, I got him!" <laughs> and it was, it was just, you know, pure, pure emotion at that time. And then it took about a month or two to, to kind of nail down everything. And, you know, they're very strict on, what they wanted to talk about and uh, you know, how to portray the message and how can we market it. But I'm happy to say that uh, everything has been recorded. Everything's been edited. Everything has been approved. Uh, November 2nd is the date we've chose to launch it. That'll be the next episode I drop. And it's a, it's a pretty peculiar reason why, you know, we chose that day. I usually launch on either Thursdays or Sundays and that falls on a Tuesday but November 2nd marks the 20-year anniversary of human habitation of the International Space Station. And on that day, uh, I've got Dr. Joy Amasa and Matt Romine, who are both plant biologists for uh, NASA's Kennedy Space Center, coming in to talk about what, the advances they've made with their veggie program, uh, the advanced plant habitat, how, how do they, you know, 
research how do they grow the actual plants in outer space and and we talk about you know these these people have worked on the equipment that is actually up there that you know if you see a picture of uh of an astronaut that's you know holding up a flower there's a, some famous ones up there or, or you know the zinnias that uh, that they were able to i think scott kelly was able to, to nurse back to life um you know these these are the people that were developing that equipment and are planning for uh, the the eventuality of having fresh produce to to supplement the the diets of the astronauts as we reach further and further into space. So, it's a fascinating episode. It was probably one of the coolest <laughs> coolest things that I've uh, I've gotten to do so far. I'm beyond excited about it. Uh, I I hope everybody likes it because it was kind of a kind of a you know a little mini dream come true when when all this kind of came to fruition. So that's that's going to be my next one. That's really cool, man. And uh, I know you and I have been conversing as all that has come together. And uh, I share in your enthusiasm of that. And I think that's really awesome. And as I've told everybody on here, uh, uh, that that natural curiosity that, that you have is, is what makes this show so special. So I can't wait to hear that episode. And I can't wait for everybody else to hear it. Uh, folks uh, are curious after listening to this, uh, where can they go find you? So I'm, uh, I recently started a YouTube channel as well. So anything that, uh, if you want to see, you know, the, if, if you just, one of those people that has YouTube on in the background, you can just look at uh, the United We Ag, uh, YouTube channel. I'm also on Spotify, I, uh, iTunes or, or Apple podcast, Google podcast, Stitcher, um, still waiting on Amazon's, uh, verification process, but I'm hoping that comes pretty quick. I know that sometimes that can, can take a little bit, a little bit of time to get on the, onto audible and through amazon's site but uh, i just started that not too long ago so but most of the major uh podcast hosting sites and then obviously um if you if you follow me on social media there's a, a link there that has a, a, a like on it'll take redirect you to all of my different social media accounts the meadows usa accounts pestle instruments accounts uh where you can find information on you know other guests that are coming forward if if you're looking for you know information on the the environmental monitoring and you know kind of the predictive uh, crop models that that we've got with Meadows USA, all that stuff is there as well. And um, there's a a link to the actual hosting website that uh, that I actually download the podcast onto and, and launch it. So there's quite a few ways to to listen. You'll be hearing a lot more about uh, Derek and about uh, United We Ag on upcoming episodes of this show and also on our socials, so so make sure you're following those. And uh, Derek's another guy who uh, gets on frequently on Farm Life. That's uh, uh, that's where he and I met. So we're going to be having Brandon Deal on the show here, up, upcoming one, one of the next few weeks here, talking about everything they've started with Farm Life. So if you haven't liked that page yet, get over and like the Farm Life Facebook page and join us over there every Wednesday at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, you might be catching uh, Derek on there, and uh, you, you'll be catching myself and Brandon on there. So hope you go check all that out. Make sure you go subscribe to the United We Ag podcast. Just a great podcast, definitely worth your time. And Derek, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. And can't wait to uh, have you back on again to showcase more of these great guests. Thank you so much for, for giving me the chance to be on here. I'm looking forward to... Uh, Looking forward to a lot of the things that we've got going uh, here in the next couple months. So it'll be, it should be exciting for everybody. Again, we've been talking with Derek Brosda, the creator and host of the United We Ag podcast.
Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's that time again. Our buddy, the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax, has another installment of Bushels and Cents. Make sure you check out all his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. You need to change the air filter on a turbocharged diesel engine. The factory filter costs $85. An aftermarket replacement from China costs $35. It does not look that much different, so you save the $50 and buy the aftermarket. About a year later, the seal in the turbo goes and it sucks oil. It costs you $1,200 to get it repaired and balanced. The rebuilder tells you that if you do not use an OE or name brand filter, he will not warranty the repair. The reason being that many cheap filters are flow restrictive, which creates a low pressure region around the turbo seal, causing it to fail. The Chinese filter costs you the equivalent of 343 bushels of corn, but you saved $50 up front. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com, where steel and soil meet. Well, next up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the program one of my absolute favorite guests, traditional country music star Bobby Marquez, who's not letting COVID slow him down. He's kicking off a virtual campfire picking party series on Sunday, November 1st at 6 p.m. Central on his Facebook page, and he wants you to join him. Bobby, welcome back to Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, Brent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. How have you been? Man, I've been good, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, just been been trying to get through all this covid stuff that's been going on you know and and uh just trying to write some new songs and and trying to trying to get some new gigs for next year and just trying to stay busy you know yeah i think that's a big challenge you know as we've talked about with a number of people uh not much to do besides write <laughs> exactly exactly now we've got so much time time on our hands too you know so i'm like man i've never had this much time on my hands to to sit down and, and write as, as much as i'm writing right now so Hopefully, hopefully I can have about three or four albums for the next <laughs> for the next <laughs> years. <laughs> You'll be good to go. Well, Bobby's a former Grammy nominee in the 2018 Academy of Western Artists Pure Country Male Vocalist of the Year and the first ever CMA of Texas Cowboy Western Artist Award recipient. He's also written songs for George Strait, Alan Jackson, Rhonda Vincent, Ty Herndon, and Johnny Rodriguez, among others. And not only are you going to be playing some of your hits and some of your new music around the campfire, but you're also going to be inviting in some special guests. I am. I'm going to have a virtual uh, uh, Facebook Live uh, coming on November the 1st on, on Sunday. And uh, my special guest is going to be uh, a hit songwriter, Wood Newton. Uh, if you remember the song uh, uh, for David Ball riding with Private Malone, and uh, man, he's written this tons of songs. Uh, Kenny Rogers twenty years ago, what I didn't do for Steve Warner, uh, good friend of mine, Wood Newton's going to be joining me. It's going to be a great night. Uh, it's called the Campfire Songwriter Series, and that's going to be on November the first at six o'clock p.m. Central Time. We're gonna we're gonna Facebook it live. And also, but 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 Bobby Sue. <laughs> there you go. I almost forgot about that one. <laughs> Big hit for the Oak Ridge Boys. For the Oak Ridge Boys. Boy, I tell you what, Wood's a great songwriter. He's uh, he's been around in, in Nashville for years, and and uh, just a, a absolute one of my one of my best friends. You know, you know the other song that he wrote that that I didn't even realize was he wrote. Uh, if you remember Martin Delray, he wrote uh, Lily's, Lily's White Lies. Yeah, yeah, man, good stuff. Yeah. 
So uh, who else do you have lined up? Anybody else that we can uh, throw out there yet, or are you keeping those under under your hat? I'm probably, probably going to try to keep one under my hat just for a little bit in, in, in case we do get somebody else out there or have another special guest. Uh, you know, with everything going on, too, you know, uh, it, it's been kind of crazy trying to trying to get some other songwriters, too, out here, you know. Yeah. But uh, everybody's trying to stay safe and everything, and, and uh, you know, and I respect that, too, you know, and I, I was actually going to think about just doing it by myself, you know, and then uh, I thought about Wood and, and the Wood said, man, I'd, I'd, I'd do it. I'd be there no matter what. And uh, so I think we're just, it might just end up being me and him. It might add another person, but more than likely it's probably just going to be me and him. And, uh, man, we're just going to shoot back and forth and have some fun. And and uh, hopefully everybody out there will join us and and, uh, and have some fun as well. Man, that's, I can't wait to check these out. Uh, if the weather turns bad, because it does get a little iffy this time of year, uh, what, what's plan B for you? Yeah, yeah. So the plan B, uh, if it does rain or anything like that, which hopefully, you know, I think if we're looking okay right now. Uh, and, you know, of course, we're, we're in 2020, so anything <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> can change daily. <laughs> <laughs> but for plan B, it looks like it looks like if we have to change anything, we'll do it on November the 4th. On Thursday, November fourth. Okay. Uh, same time, six o'clock p.m. If anything changes, and, and I'll let everybody know. I'll post it on Facebook and my social media and everything. If, if anything changes. Another big thing you have going on will happen Saturday, November twenty-first, when you perform a live solo set at this year's Nashville Rock and Roll Marathon to benefit St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And as we talked here earlier this year on the program, that's a charity that's become very near and dear to your heart. Yeah, you know, I love St. Jude. Uh, you know, we, we usually do a lot of things this year. Um, and uh, this is going to be my second one this year. Of course, you know, we did my, my annual benefit earlier this year. And uh, I've done the Rock and Roll Marathon, I think, now for the past five years now, five, six years now. And uh, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to play acoustically, just me and my acoustic guitar and, and try to, entertain the runners and try to keep them going to get to the finish line you know try to raise as much money as we can it's exciting stuff because uh there's just not been many opportunities to actually get out and and do stuff this year so anytime you can get out and and play and those folks who can actually get out and stretch their legs and run that's a that's going to be big and uh saint jude really needs it right now yeah yeah you know and 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 it's going to be safe you know because we're we're far away from the runners anyway and we're up on a stage so we're by ourselves you know there's no other buddy around us or anything like that so it's completely safe for for the entertainers and and you know it's outdoors and everything so and and, uh from what i heard they're gonna they're gonna kind of social distance a little bit some of the runners and kind of do it in a different way so everybody's not packed in you know just to mix to each other so that's going to be kind of cool because, you know, when you're running, you can't wear a mask. I mean, there's just no way you're going to wear a mask. I mean, people are going to be passing out. You know? Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So they, they've got it under control, you know. They've got it under control, and and uh, they've got all these plans that they're going to do this year. And uh, so, you know, But you know what I like about, about 2020 is that, you know, is, uh, you know we didn't know that, that, that we're, we're going to have this COVID thing, but now, you know, we're starting to kind of handle it a little bit better. We're starting to do things a little bit better. So it's going to help us in the future, you know, if something else were to come up like this, you know, we're going to be better trained for it. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that we don't like about 2020 here, just in this last week, uh, we, we've lost three major icons uh, in this business. Johnny Bush, Jerry Jeff Walker, and Billy Joe Shaver 
And uh, th these were all people that were influences on your career. You know, I, I, uh, I grew, you know, growing up in Texas, you know, Jerry Jeff Walker and Billy Joe Shaver and Johnny Bush, uh, gosh, they were, they were all heroes of mine. I mean, uh, and a lot of heroes to a lot of singers and songwriters. I mean, I mean, just those three guys alone, the songs they've written, and I mean, the hits and the, and the legendary songs they've written, it's just unbelievable. I mean, just unbelievable. And, uh, uh you know, Johnny Bush, you know, me growing up and, and listen to a lot of his stuff from uh, Green Snakes on the Ceiling, mm. What a Way to Live, and I, I mean, just Whiskey River. I mean, my goodness, you know, you can't, I mean, there couldn't have been a better leg legend in country music than Johnny Bush. I mean, what a voice, what a voice. Jerry Jeff Walker, I mean, my goodness, I mean, he had his own style. Uh, I mean, just absolutely just a great songwriter. I mean, you know, Mr. Bojangles was the, was the huge hit of his that I mean, for almost everybody in country music, you know, had had recorded that song. I mean, you know, from the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band to just all, almost everybody. And Billy Joe Shaver, I mean, he, he was he was the same thing. I mean, just uh, had his own style and uh, more kind of like country folk. And uh, man, I mean, he's written just tons of songs. <clears throat> and uh, man, you can't, I mean, you can't you couldn't couldn't go wrong with those guys, you know. It's going to be a big, big hole for country music. It definitely will, but that's why we've got guys like you to help fill that hole, man, to keep that uh, true traditional country music sound going, and you do it well. Well, I appreciate that, Brent. You know, it, I mean, it's, it's it's like guys like like those guys that we, that we you know, model ourselves after, and, uh, you know, we try to keep that tradition going on, and, and, uh, and that's all we can do, you know, we just, we just try to keep going forward and move forward and and commemorate those people that have passed away. I mean, I've had so so many so many legends this year. It's just unbelievable. I, I don't think that there's a year in country music that we've lost so many legends. I mean, yeah. if you go back and you think about it, Kenny Rogers, Charlie Daniels, Chan Howard. I mean, the list just goes on. I mean, yeah, Joe, it's, it's unbelievable. Joe it's Diffie, unbelievable. another one this year. Joe Diffie. I mean, my goodness, it's just uh, I, I've, I've never seen a year with that many legendary deaths. No, it, it's been tough, but uh, you're right. The, the only thing that uh, you can do really is to carry on that legacy, and you, you're going to be doing that uh, this Sunday night, weather permitting, at 6 o'clock Central on your Facebook page. Uh, why don't you give them that uh, Facebook page address and, and also your website so they can go check you out and stay on top of everything you're doing. Yeah, it's going to be it's facebook.com slash Bobby Marquez Music, and uh, like I said, it's going to be a Facebook Live. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun, man. <laughs> I want everybody to tune in because it's going to be a really cool thing. And and uh, like I said, you're going to you're going to be able to to hear me do some new songs. I've got some new songs that I'm going to I'm going to render uh, for people. And and of course, me and Wood Newton wrote a song about uh, about my mother. Uh, you know, my mother passed away this year too, and I wanted to write a song about my mother. So we're going to I'm going to sing that uh, that me and me and Wood wrote together. And uh, so, man, we're just going to have some fun. I mean, you know, hit uh, Wood's gonna play his hit songs, and uh, man, it's just gonna be a blast. So we were hoping people will tune in, and man, let's just make it a great night. Well, you have at least one viewer here. We'll make that some uh, destination viewing here on Sunday night, and 
I hope everybody else will, will join along as well. And Bobby, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. And I always look forward to our conversations and uh, hope we can have you back here soon. And hopefully we can not be talking about COVID, but uh, hopefully we can be talking about a full calendar of performance dates and new music and everything else that comes along with it. Hey, thank you, Brent, so much, man. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, next time, next time we talk, I definitely... Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't want to hear the word COVID no more. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I want to hear, hear some. I want to see some full dates on the on my schedule and and out there and seeing the fans again. That's 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 my main my main thing. I start want to start seeing the fans again and getting together with everybody. And bonus points if we can actually do that face to face. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right, we've been talking with a traditional country music star Bobby Marquez. Well, staying on the musical side of the house, our next guest comes from Nashville, Tennessee, by way of Wisconsin, and he's made quite a name for himself in a short amount of time, landing two songs in the top 50 of the Music Row chart. He has a new single out, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, and that song has a great shot at being number three. And Brecken Miles, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. What's up? How you doing, buddy? Man, doing good. I'm trying to stay warm. It's getting a little cold up here now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you what, it is. It's starting to down here, too. Now we're in that season where you get the warm days, and then it, it immediately drops once that sun goes down. It's chilly. I was just out there a few minutes ago, and it, it it's getting brisk. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I came back up to Wisconsin a little bit ago to finish up some uh, last outdoor quarantine kind of shows. Um, and literally, I've seen almost all four seasons in one day. It was raining. There was, looked like little flurries. It got cold and it was hot at the same time. I was like, this is nuts, man. Let's go back south again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does. And I tell you what, despite the state of the world these days, it looks like you're doing plenty to keep yourself busy. Man, I actually have been. Um, you know, music-wise, you know, after the pandemic kind of hit, you know, everything just kind of went social media. Started doing uh, what I consider coffee with Brecken. A uh, bunch of mornings throughout the week. I just pop on about 8 o'clock in the morning. Big old cup of coffee and just have people kind of tune in before they went to work. Um, I would do a couple of happy hour shows. People were very generous with um, tipping online as well, which helped out. Uh, then as soon as it kind of lifted, you know, everybody was back at this, you know, 25%, 50% kind of stuff. So everything luckily was summer was outdoors, keeping people separated. But now it's going to get a little scary going back indoors um, because not really know what's going to happen there. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, just dropping new music, I, I mean, that's kind of the lifeblood of anybody who drops new music is to get out there in front of people and, and showcase it and and, and uh, uh, get a chance to uh, get some reactions live. So it's tough when you can't do that. No, that's exactly it, man. I, you know, the hardest part that I think I've dealt with so far um, is I've only had one full band show. Like, I love my band members. We have a blast when we're on stage. And the only reason we even had the show over the 4th of July is because the venue refused to cancel. Said, Good, I'll be there, which is awesome, because every other show for the rest of the year is just gone. Yeah. Um, so, you know, releasing a new song, it's been great to get out to my fans and um, play it at least acoustically, and they can hear it kind of broke down how I wrote it, you know? Yeah. So your story goes back to Colgate, Wisconsin, which is just northwest of Milwaukee. Tell us about growing up there and, and uh, what led you to a passion and then ultimately a career in country music. Man, Colgate, little farming town. Um, you blink an eye and you're right through it. One of those unincorporated sign kind of things. Uh, so I grew up I grew up with my dad and my brother and my sister and my mom. Um, 
of us three kids, my dad really wanted one of us to play guitar. And he was always in bands growing up, listening to him play and sing around the house. And finally, I think I was like sixth grade, maybe seventh grade, somewhere around there. Um, I, was, I went to my dad, I was like, show me some chords. And so my first song he ever showed me was the intro to um, James Taylor, Country Roads. And he had like this Marshall half stack he let me use. I had this, you know, blue Fender Telecaster and just rocking out in my room. The same three chords over and over and over again to the point where he came in and he goes, learn a new song or stop playing guitar. And that's why I just kind of went on my own and started to learn how to read tabs and notes and chords and going from there. So he was actually the, the main reason I picked up the old six string to begin with and got to where I'm at. Uh, who were some of the other influences you had? Man, Garth Brooks. Yeah. Right there. Hands down. Um, yeah. So my first, you know, for everybody who um, doesn't know what a CD is, no. <laughs> um, my first CD ever when I was uh, 12 was actually, you know, my parents always got us a present. And for each one of us, it was a boombox. So a nice little CD player uh, was No Fences by Garth Brooks. So when I started playing guitar, originally it was a lot of like James Taylor, Sticks, Croce, uh, the Eagles, Steve Miller, stuff like that. So it wasn't until I started listening to Garth Brooks' song where I was like, man, he's telling some great stories in here. You know, some of them are starting to resonate a little more. And as I started getting older and older and older and listening back to all those songs that he's written or has played, you know, my, my favorite song I played his is Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old. Because yeah. every day I get a little bit older and every day that song just hits me more and more and more. So yeah. I Garth for sure. What a great tune. I understand also uh, Springsteen and ACDC in the mix there too, huh? <laughs> Gotta love some rock. Yeah, Springsteen, ACDC. Um, so when I started playing, it was, it was like I, was, I considered myself a little punk skateboarder. Uh -huh. uh, you know, so I was rolling around listening to like Blink-182, Sum 41, you know, kind of little kid rock metal there. Um, and then, like I said, Garth kind of got me into country, but it wasn't until I saw my first Kenny Chesney concert at Summerfest. Uh, which is the world's largest music festival based out of Milwaukee. Um, I walked in not knowing what to expect. Uh, I saw the whole crowd and how they were. And I looked up and I was like, I can do that. <laughs> That's kind of where we got from there now. <laughs> so when, uh, when did you head to Nashville then? So um, when I turned 21, I had this, um, I joined a, a local cover band and mm -hmm. you know, started out and it was going great and then i decided one day i'd actually met my publisher um miss melissa blaya um her friend that who actually lived in wisconsin and so i was happened to be in the same place you know right time right people right and um she asked me what i did i told her what i did and she said you need to look up my you know, my friend melissa um so young naive i literally went to facebook sent her a message say hey like this is who i am this is what i want to do uh, your friend told me to look you up. Uh, I want to come to Nashville. She goes, well, if you ever come, you know, hit me up. So I think like three weeks later, I just, me and my guitar player packed up and went down to Nashville. And from there, it just kind of started blooming out. So that was 20, what's it? It's 2020. 2020 doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's about six years ago now, I want to say. So uh, yeah, about 2014-ish is when I really started going down. And then as soon as I signed down with her, it was, I quit Bella Kane band and every other week I was driving back and forth to Nashville to write songs and record and, you know, just doing it. Uh -huh. And you talk about Bella Kane. That was something that uh, you got into in 2008 and uh, spent a few years doing that. And, and I understand you're doing uh, more than 200 shows a year. 
with that. Man, yeah. So, you know, and, and, and bless my wife's heart, you know, because uh, she went from watching this band start to, you know, consider it a garage band, right? Like kind of all bands start out. Three shows the first maybe five months to yeah. going to a hundred some odd shows a year with them and then watching me start my own solo career as well and adding on more shows. So, yeah, at one point I was pushing between 175 and 200 shows a, a year. Um, two shows a day, three shows a day, four days in a row, you know, sleep on the road and do it again. And, you know, it was, it was, it was fun, but it was a little rough at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did you learn about yourself as an artist through that experience? Um, wow. That's a good question. Uh, learn about myself. You know, I, I really learned, um, that I'm actually more of a homebody. Uh -huh. Um, I love, you know, being around friends and family, because, you know, you can ask any musician out there, they're going to tell you that, you know, the friends you had, you know, everybody reverts back to like high school, and you have a lot of friends who kind of go with you along the way. Um, you know, they say a reason season of our lifetime. Of all those friends from high school, I could probably have like four that I still stay in contact with on a consistent basis. But a lot of it came down to they started coming out and seeing shows because that's what comes to these shows, but they wanted me to hang out otherwise, and I just couldn't do it because I was playing shows. So the only time they could start seeing me was when I was out playing and they kind of got bored of it. Um, so it made me kind of self-reflect and think, you know, there's kind of got to be a different route to this as well um, and figure out that path. Cause there's, you know, there's no, no right or wrong path to take. You know, my, my motto is all roads lead to the same place. Um, you know, some are going to be curvy and windy and some are going to be straight, you know, yeah. either way you're going to get there sooner or later. And you signed a publishing deal as you were talking about earlier with Rhyme Partners Music Publishing. What has that done for your career? Oh my God. Uh, it has opened a lot of doors. Uh, I can't thank Melissa enough when, uh, over at Ryan partners there. Um, you know, coming into this game again, it's like, I was, I was, what do you call it? Green, like as, as green as can be, man, like the new sprouting little corn stalk there. Um, and she is, she's led the way she has coached me. She has, um, helped me with teaching me how to, you know, hone in my songwriting skills. Um, she helped me out with all the singles that we put out, um, with all of my, um, licensing fees and ASCAP stuff. I mean, so, you know, I can't thank her enough. So with Ryan partners in general, they've literally gotten me to that next level where, um, you know, hopefully this song really kind of breaks us out there and, you know, maybe a label pick us up. So it turned out to be a good gamble, man. You've had the opportunity to share the stage with a bunch of big names, Luke Bryan, Brad Paisley, Luke Combs, Cam, Blake Shelton, uh, you know, Phil Vassar, Big and Rich, Justin Moore, and uh, Chris Jansen. So a lot of a lot of uh, great company there to be in. So you're doing something right. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, those are all all great shows, man. I've had the blast. Um, you know, it was funny too. A little side note. Um, <clears throat> years ago, I got to open up with uh, Brothers Osborne. Yeah, great so, act. We were opening up for Eli Young Band at the time, and so like we were the opener of the opener. Sure. Um, so man, it was like six months back, my wife and I had just gone to this new restaurant and wasn't paying attention at all. And all of a sudden, you know, it's John from Brothers Osborne, his road manager and somebody else, I think it was like the drummer. And they're sitting next to us. And I'm looking at the guy, I'm like, he looks familiar. And so I walk away uh, to go order some stuff. I come back and my wife's like, they're talking about music. So I look at him again, I'm like, man, are you Brothers Osborne? He's like, yeah. I was like, dude, I opened up for you. And he surprisingly remembered the show because it was this just like gigantic tent filled with sand and stuff. So it was super cool. Those guys are just, they're awesome people. So he invited us to the show, gave us some tickets, got some meet and greets and stuff. So 
That's cool. Yeah. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned since uh, coming to Nashville and, and trying to make a go of it? <laughs> um, for anybody out there listening that you're trying to do this, the biggest lesson I learned is keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Literally. Um, you know, you never know who you run into, right? And so the worst thing you can do is go into winners on a Monday night and start name dropping. Like, oh, I wrote with this guy over this thing. He's like, that's my roommate. Like, oh, you know, like, so um, I learned a lesson really early on um, to just, you know, smile and stand back in the shadows, you know, you know, be, be present, you know, make yourself kind of known, but make yourself more of like, man, who is that guy? I keep seeing him everywhere. Like, who is that guy? Like, make them want to come to you and talk to you kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest lesson I, I learned early on was just shut your mouth. Uh, that's outstanding advice and it, it, it's spot on too because uh uh even though it's a big industry it's a very small industry and it seems like you, you know like i talk about trying to connect the dots here uh, there's not many degrees of separation between anybody you know so, <laughs> one way or another somebody's gonna know somebody comes back around yeah it's it's so scary you know and you know i have to tell this story just because i find it funny really quick um so one of the First couple of times we were traveling down there, Justin Moore had just gotten number one with, you know, I can't remember the song it was, but they had his party on the top of Honky Tonk Central, like the third floor. So me and my buddy are in there and we're on the first floor watching like Boss Hog or somebody playing some music. And I see these guys walk in with like suits. They're going upstairs. I'm like, dude, something's going on upstairs. And all of a sudden Scott Borchetta walks in. Yeah. I'm like, that's Borchetta. So I Google him really quick, make sure of it. So, you know, act like you belong, you know, fake team, make it. So I just shot upstairs. So we got to go there and hang out and, um, you know, watch right. the whole ceremony and stuff like that. And that was, that was one of the lessons where yeah, I walked up to him and I was like, I'm going to work with you one day. <laughs> I was like, ah, you know, but you know, we'll see. So before we go ahead, man, uh, you, you were mentioning uh, the company that you have. Tell us a bit about what you got going on there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, my wife and I, Megan, who knew, you know, my new single's about actually, um, I started a tour company based out of Milwaukee. What we do is we have these like little futuristic looking golf carts. Um, you know, the, it's the, the company's called city tours, MKE or in a coat right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but what we do is we, we give people who come into town, excuse me, a nice little snapshot, um, for our discover iconic tour. We give them a bunch of history on the city. Um, take them different places around. They get to see the lakefront, lighthouses, Summerfest grounds. Um, you know, obviously Milwaukee is, is literally built on drinking with all the breweries up there and stuff. So one of the jokes I always say is, you know, we're going to pass 150 bars in 30 churches. So don't count. I've already done it for you. You know, so um, it's, it's, it's a fun time for people uh, to get out, try something new when they're in town because we've noticed a lot, even when, I, even when we travel, um, when we first started traveling a bunch, we'd go and you, you know, get your hotel and you're kind of in that little section right there. You don't really wander out too far from there. So our goal is to get people to see like, hey, come to the east side. Look what they have to offer over here or come to the third ward and you know, try a burger over here. Um, it gives them those options then to go and, and check out more parts of the city. So that's what we do in Milwaukee. Very cool. How's that business been this year? <laughs> like everything else. Yeah. Um, you know, pandemic hit, you know, everything kind of shut down. The great thing about our tours is that, again, it's this little small six-seater like golf cart looking thing. All the doors come off when it's summer out, you know, it's open air, you know, we all wear masks. Um, but 
after the first month and a half, you know, things just stopped. But surprisingly, now people are just kind of tired of being hunkered down and they're getting a little more excited about it. Um, and because these tours are so unique and kind of personable, um, most of the time it's just it's just you in the car with us. You know, it's, it's you and your person you brought with you or like five people will book it themselves. And so you're not really interacting with outside people at all, except for the, the tour, the tour guide. No. Um, so it's been picking up, which has been great, especially now we're in our haunted season. Um, but yeah, everything, just like everything else, you know, it had us struggling and we're still struggling. <laughs> so what do you guys do for the haunted season? What do we do? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have two different kind of versions. It's like a, a dive bar tour. It's a haunted history dive bar tour. Welcome to Milwaukee, right? Um, use the binding rods, your bunch of the ghost stories. Um, we call it liquid spirits. Uh, and so we have also have one for underage kids as well, where there's no drinking involved, but we take them to more like a lot of parks that have, you know, Indian burial ground history or, you know, different kind of stuff like that. And so it's just, it's a good fun time for people to just kind of come out and, you know, experience Milwaukee and, you know, kind of get spooked out if you want. Very cool. If, if folks listen to this or are interested, where we're, we're going to go to learn more about it. Um, CityToursMKE.com or Facebook. Um, I'm pretty sure it's an Instagram as well, but your best bet would be online. Check it out. So the new single, Megan, is inspired by your wife, Megan. Tell us the backstory behind this one. It's about my wife. Quick backstory behind it. Pandemic saved our marriage. Divorce, and um, we got stuck coming back together with each other, and it was the best thing that ever happened. So Melissa and I in Florida wrote this song. Go like this. I'll just start with my heart. It's where it all began. The day I laid my eyes on you, I found my best friend. And now here we are. You've got a one hand on the door. I was a guy who made you smile Now you can't take no more Like a tidal wave Stronger than a hurricane My love for you is just as true As it was the first day Sometimes it feels like chasing the wind Trying to Feels 
And we know Megan is just upstairs there. What does she think of that one? She is. Man, it was okay. So hilarious, right? We wrote the song. Our little two-year-old daughter and her were outside in a pool at the time at Melissa's place. And she came in the house like, hey, I have this. I want, I want you to hear a song really quick. She kind of stood back and just listened to it. She's like, it's great. Why is my name the title? Because <laughs> it's about you. <laughs> So um, she loves it. Um, you know, it's funny because my little two-year-old daughter, Remy, she like literally sings everywhere when I sing it. So it's it's super cute. That's awesome, man. Well, that, that's a good story too. That, that's awesome. Congratulations on uh, get, getting through that rough patch. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was it was pretty rough there for a minute. Um, you know, like I said, it, if it wasn't for the pandemic, you know, it'd be it'd be a different story. We'd probably be singing a different song. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, life throws curveballs. You know, I, I see a lot of people as well who are now going through divorces and, you know, it was just, it was, it was a time we needed, you know, she's a dental hygienist, a hairstylist, and we own a tour company on top of a two-year-old. Um, and so we were literally passing ships on the night. It was nonstop. Um, you know, the only time we got to see each other was in the morning. Hey, goodbye. Um, and, you know, I was playing on the weekends and, you know, finally got to the point where she, just, she couldn't handle it anymore. And, we're both having our little stuff going on there. And, you know, finally, when we were able to just stop everything, literally stop everything, it took exactly what we needed to, you know, reconnect and, and figure out why we loved each other in the first place. That's beautiful, man. That's awesome. So something, <laughs> something else I know that's important to you, uh, you're a spokesperson for uh, Generations Against Bullying, which is a Milwaukee-based charity for which you wrote the organization's theme song, God Loves. Tell me about that. Yes. So uh, Generations Against Bullying is a phenomenal organization. What they do is they go within to different school districts and different places and they um, talk about the effects of bullying. Um, you know, a lot of us and, you know, and I'm pretty sure 99 percent of us at some point have been bullied, called names, you know, whatever. Um, I went through it myself. And um, so it's just great to go into these schools and, and talk to these kids because it's, it's you know, one of the things that nobody talks about is suicide. And there's a lot of kids who get bullied for it could be, you know, how they look or the, the clothes they wear because they're not just fortunate to somebody else. And they just, you know, they just can't take it anymore. And they, you know, they go and decide to end their life. And, you know, it's our hopes that we can go in there and say, hey, man, like there's, there's different paths, there's different things you know, love one another. And that's why one of our biggest things that I have, and you know, as you know, Sam, I get back my guitar is, you know, it's be happy, you know, you know, be kind to others, you know, everybody, everybody has their own thing and just you know, love everybody. You know, we can all, we can all be friends. Yeah. So uh, they get around, they get around the state. They're actually in different States as well. Uh, they're branching off to, and it's, it's great. It's an awesome organization. So that's very cool. And if anybody's interested in checking that out, gabnow.org. Yep. is the website gabnow.org and he was talking about uh you know, the school assemblies they also bring celebrity speakers to events and uh host community movie nights and, and uh, do a bunch of other things to to uh call awareness to it and just a really great organization so if uh, if that's something near and dear to your heart uh, i would suggest you go check that out absolutely i appreciate that thank you 
<laughs> yeah, no worries, man. So we've talked a lot about music, but what are some of the things that you like to do away from music? <laughs> so the reason um, I'm currently at my sister-in-law's house is um, I love outdoorsy stuff, hunt, fish, camp, you know, whole thing. So, yeah, so I was actually at my, uh, my father-in-law's land, and we were helping set a new tree stand up. Um, that was me duck hunting the other day, uh, although all the duckies, you know, they lived. I'm not a good shot. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, I love getting outdoors, love fishing, love hunting, um, you know, hanging out with the family as well. You know, Remy, now she's two, so we love taking her to parks and um, – we're, we're making plans right now to do some like water parks as the winter comes. So you can still kind of go indoors and still swim around. And we did a little apple orchard picking. And so it's anything outdoors, you know, I'm, I'm there. So I tell you what, if, if folks want to know more about you, want to follow your career, want to download your music, where can they go to check you out? Brecken Miles, B-R-E-C-K-E-N-M-I-L-E-S, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Um, I think it's about that. Uh, Spotify. Find me on Spotify, click like link, send it to all your friends. Um, I'm pretty sure I have a YouTube page um, and just all, all social media. So you, you just find it. Just look at my name. I just I pop up. It's true. Uh, I verified that myself. It's true. So make sure you go check out all things at Breck and Miles. And Brecken, thank you so much, man, for taking the time to join us here. I've had a blast. And I hope you come back again when you got more new music to share. Just come oh, on, shoot the ball, man. Do you guys, you, you have fun anytime. I love to come out with you guys. Um, all your listeners, you guys, thank you so much. I uh, hope to see you guys out on the road sometime soon. And um, if I don't, just you know, find me on Facebook. I guess you'll see me play a coffee show. Well, we want to say a special shout out to our friends at the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Hope that when you're in the area, you'll go check them out. They've got a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. They're open Sunday to Thursday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Fridays and Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. So when they're open, stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fast Line Fast Track. I also want to say a special shout out to our friends at Farm Life and thank them for their support of Fast Line Fast Track. Please go over and give them a like on their Facebook page so you can connect with others interested in agriculture. And join me over on their page every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern as I join Brandon Deal to talk about the things that are on farmers' minds. And speaking of things on farmers' minds, the tax man is coming. Do you have equipment to buy? Now's the time to get in those Section 179 purchases before the end of the year. So head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. That's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is being delivered directly to your mailbox and is still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And remember, sign up for the Fast Line Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio.com. Also, be sure to hit us up on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back 
and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com. <laughs>